0: This is Recorded Future. Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 87 of the Recorded Future Podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. BT is the global telecommunications giant, headquartered in London with over a hundred thousand employees all over the world. In addition to telephone services in Great Britain, BT provides broadband internet, fiber optic communications, digital television, and even supply chain management services. They also provide IT and network security services. Our guest today is Mark Hughes, CEO of BT Security. He oversees the security of BT's internal networks and assets, as well as the security services they provide to outside clients. He shares with us his techniques for building effective collaborative security teams, how he earns buy-in from both his colleagues and his board of directors, and the importance of threat intelligence. He'll also share his experience gearing up for the 2012 London Olympic Games and why he thinks that was a milestone moment for cybersecurity. Stay with us.
0: I started off in security some years ago, and I basically uh, was responsible for the security of BT itself. So I am still the CISO and CSO, if you want, wrapped together. Uh, And so we decided, and I decided to... Reshaped the team so that we brought both the uh, information security teams, but also the the physical security teams as well. BT is one of the largest network uh, communication service providers in the world. We run one of the largest global MPLS networks, so we're very distributed. We're operating in 180 countries, so a lot of people in a lot of places, a lot of buildings and sites, because telecoms infrastructure needs locations for those uh, nodes to to be where they need to be positioned. So I I brought the security of both of those things together. So clearly, there's a big uh, need to ensure that we protect not just the physical locations, but all the information that's running around them. Um, And I did that for a number of years. We have changed the approach that we've taken on that uh, for our business, as I said, that operates globally. We have um, 130,000 staff uh, across the globe, so it's a it's a big deal, and the deal is also quite big because the UK traditionally has been a a very important peering point for internet services across the globe. So I I brought those teams together. um, As the threat environment has been changing, as we know, dramatically over the last few years, there was a need to really re-engineer how we did security uh, in our organisation right the way through um, the actual security activity itself, but into the various parts of the IT stacks. And so then thereafter, um, a few years ago, we thought hard about how we were approaching the market in security. And uh, so I decided that I would take a really fresh look about how we were providing security services and uh, re-engineer that part of our business, take that under my wing, and then really drive and grow the business as well. So I have a, a role which basically leads me both be protecting the organization as the CISO, uh, but also equally uh, driving our market opportunity and the growth in the market as well.
1: Can you give us some insights onto what your day-to-day is like with with an organization as large as BT and and the scope of the the challenges that you're up against, as you just described? How do you set your priorities?
0: So priority one is always going to be that I have to maintain uh, the security of our business I make sure that we have a very proportionate level of control based upon the type of risk that we are carrying as a business on behalf of our customers as well to ensure that we are uh, really delivering to our customers' requirements. And that is my absolute number one priority and will always be my number one priority. And what I mean by that is, importantly, that you know, we have to really unpick that. And uh, as an organization, I think long and hard about how to, as a communication service provider, to ensure that I understand what our customer requirements are and therefore what role we play in ensuring that those requirements are met. And they may be from consumers using, for example, wireless-type services and uh, cell-type services all the way through to some of the largest global Fortune 500 enterprises who take services from us Um, and making sure that all of our data that we carry on behalf of our customers the data that we carry on behalf of our business to make our business work is protected, and most importantly, in the telecommunications context, that it works. So, as you can imagine, when thinking about how we design a security strategy for an organization our size, availability is very important. When you think about the confidentiality and integrity and availability triumvirate, availability sits out there very importantly, as a thing that is dear to our hearts. Not to say that confidentiality isn't important and in integrity, but availability when you come to tele- telecommunications is really, really important. So that's always my first priority. My second priority then is, how do I take that and work closely with our customers to ensure that where they want specific services relating to security, they may well consume network services from us. but if they want specific security related services, how can I take some of that expertise that we have from running the sort of security operations that we run for our business, and then share with our, that with our customers and provide them services that, that potentially allows them to manage their risk in a proportionate way as well on behalf of the business that they're conducting with their customers as well. So priority one is BT itself. Priority two is making sure that our customers take advantage of that, and we provide the services that we really need. And they are very much symbiotic. You know, if we can't do the first one well, our customers aren't going to be getting the best service that they, we can possibly offer them. And uh, obviously, as a business, um, we need to ensure that we are really generating and driving, not just new business, but the business that we have already and maintaining that. And a lot of that now is, is really based upon having the right security in place to do that. And how would you describe your management
1: style? How do you work with your team?
0: I think in security, this is something that we don't necessarily pay enough attention to. I would say, I'm gonna gonna broaden it out a bit. As Mm. a person who's been in security now for a number of years, I think the way in which organizations work, the way in which ever is ever more important that we have to be able to react quickly when you think about our layered defense approach that we put in place, um, increasingly with the types of attacks that we're seeing where we know that we can be infiltrated and that there can be uh, persistency in those types of attacks, when, when identifying and, and working out what's going on, then we have to be able to respond ever more quickly. And that, to me, relies a lot upon having a style where one is collaborative, uh, where you understand where the right touch points are in the organization, and uh, really using that ability to through collaboration to actually then get things done oftentimes very, very quickly. Um, So that's one point around the, the style generally that you need. And that then extends into my own management style with my team, that we have to be able to that person who happens to be in that spot at that time who's identified that particular piece of activity needs to be able to feel confident that they can operate in the right time frame without having to be worried about referring up and layers of hierarchy so it's really about creating a management environment where people feel that they can act not just feel that they can act but they will actually act as well independently faced with what they've got that they have the ability and the autonomy to do that but they have the guidelines within which they have to operate but once they know that but they know that they can act and that they will be backed up. And that's the management style that I really try to foster in my organization. Because without that, what we will end up with is a situation where people feel that they have to refer up all the time, things slow down, and then you know the bad guys essentially will exploit that and then be able to uh, take advantage of us in a way in which is you know potentially quite ter- serious for an organization like ours. The other key thing I'd say about my management style is I've come to realize in security that when you look at the Types of professionals that we have in our, I have in my team, and I have over almost three thousand people in my team, is that often the people who know the most about something at any one time are not the people who are by any way straight, in any way shape or form, the most senior or high up in the management chain. It's that deep expertise that you need in certain given situations, and having a management framework where people can be listened to at every level in the organization and feel that their not just their opinion counts, but also when they say that this is what needs to be done, that they get backed up. That's really, really important. So it's a great question because getting the right environment through the right management style is something that I think has actually helped us be really quite successful and hopefully continue to be successful in defending against a lot of these types of attacks that we see.
1: And what's your interaction with the folks above you in the organization, with the board of directors? How do you get buy-in from them for your activities?
0: Uh, Well, all the time. I have very regular uh, interaction with um, chief executive, chairman, other members of the board, um, sometimes on a more formal basis, so uh, a regular appearance at the board audit and risk committee uh, and other board committees as well, but also on quite an infrequent basis. So the CEO, myself, will swap notes on most days, uh, he will ask me questions about certain things that might be coming up, or I will obviously go to him and say, "Look, you know, you need to be aware that this is happening." Um, and quite often, that will be a commentary on stuff that's happening in the news, uh, more broadly in the security space. Um, but the, the, the need for formal reporting is also quite is very significant as well. And so, I have a, a risk based approach to the security here in BT. Uh, I'm continually reevaluating that based upon the new new risks that are emerging. And uh, for that, having the right threat intelligence in place to be able to achieve that is very, very important. And actually sharing some of that threat intel with even up to including the board of directors so that I can contextualize why it is that we're taking the steps to do what we're doing in terms of the control framework that we're running within the organization. So lots of frequent updates, but also set piece updates as well, which revolve around This is what the potential consequences and impact are to the organization. And then this is what we're doing about it. And these are the things that really bother me the most, and with some evidence to back that up. And the way I do that is I ensure that I'm completely aligned with the other risk areas in the organization as well. I sit on what we call the group risk panel, so that we have a look and feel about the reporting in the security space, which is very similar to the look and feel for reporting for all of our other risks. And I find that really helps with the conversation, because it means that it doesn't need to be seen as something special. But it also contextualizes it in within the type of metrics that they're used to seeing, and so it, it, it makes it, a conversation flow much much more easily.
1: Yeah, I'm curious with your own board, but also uh, the interactions you have with uh, BT's customers and, and dealing with their boards of directors. Where do you think we find ourselves today when it comes to boards of directors and their understanding of the challenges that those of us in cybersecurity face? It's improving.
0: Certainly improving. And I think most board, most board members that you, you'd speak to would say that they are, have a much better awareness and an understanding that this is something that they have to consider very carefully. I think that there is still this thing in cyber of the fact that this is somehow different. Although I'm saying it doesn't necessarily have to be different, there are a couple of things about it that are, my experience, is that, that are different. A, number one, it's normally done to you. You don't do it to yourselves. So a lot of risk in organizations manifests itself because, you know, you make strategic decisions that take you down a certain route. You do things with certain customers and the way in which you manage and deliver your services, you get that maybe not right. And then things can can happen and consequences can emerge from that. Often what happens with security is that things coming from outside the organization that maliciously, with that malicious intent, are the things that can trip you up. And of course, that is a characteristic of security. It's malicious in its, in its motivation. But other risks that manifest themselves are not necessarily maliciously motivated. That's one key characteristic. The second one is the velocity. So you can go from having a control framework in place that can be very quickly undermined by a new vulnerability and exploit appearing. So that, that, that I would say is, is, is different. Um, therefore, you know, it, it's not entirely different. There are things that happen in our organization that also happen very quickly as well but making sure that the, the those couple of characteristics are taken into account when presenting it. But the reality is that if you can drive a framework for the boards of directors where they understand that framework already through other risk presentations that they might have, that to me has been really helpful in unlocking the fact that this risk uh, is characteristically its own risk, but is similar to many other risks. and um, And that therefore... Moves away, I think, from this thing of, well, cyber is a big unknown. It's something that's separate. It's something I don't really know enough about. um, And it's something I can't even begin to understand. Not that at all. Take it into the normal risk methodology that any large organization will have, even any small organization will have, um, to be able to help make those trade-off judgment risks around what is the proportionate level of control that the organization needs. That's my experience of the way in which it helps. And I think it is really improving. I think people are getting that. The one thing beyond anything that really focuses the mind is if you can get to the dollar sign in terms of what the impact and likelihood is combining those two things to actually arrive at a risk exposure dollar sign that does help drive the conversation to something where there is a great deal of understanding already
1: well let's let's talk about uh, threat intelligence and the part that you feel it plays in your own organization uh, the importance of it there
0: so threat intelligence to me is those key important things is how do you observe what is going on over the increasingly complex environments that we operate in? And when I say increasingly complex, you know, the traditional way of managing a corporate IT environment of you know, a large data center environment with branch offices, corporate head offices, and um, you know redundancy in between different data centers is really changing. Why? Because people are consuming services from the cloud. Be they hyperscale, be they software as a service, or even you know, platforms as a service as well. And uh, and of course, that is changing the environment. Dramatically, and uh, add to that the increasing prevalence now of SSL traffic uh, and, uh, and TLS one point three. Stick those things together, and the visibility that we've traditionally had in security space across just the network is, is diminishing rapidly. Um, you know, obviously combined with the fact that a lot of those that, that that traffic doesn't exist within the corporate envelope any longer. In any case, so um, to me, therefore, helping to be informed by threat intelligence. To get visibility across the, those different environments now is absolutely fundamental. So understanding what's out there, what's going on, being able to take reliable sources and correlate that into the types of tools that we're running, the SIEM type tools, that allows us then to correlate that into the events that we're seeing on our own traffic is, uh, is fundamental. So threat intelligence is, is really driving the, our ability to have our antenna up uh, our eyes and ears open to contextualize what's actually going on, and it's really fundamental to be uh, to be successful in having an end-to-end monitoring view over those different environments.
1: Now, how much uh, information sharing goes on among uh, your organization and your competitors? You're, you're still competitors, but obviously there's uh, there's benefits for you all to keep in touch when it comes to threats.
0: Absolutely, and you know, yesterday I, I was actually at the World Economic Forum and we had a a, a big discussion around uh, threat intelligence. And we all pretty well, lots of large organizations there, you know, 140 um, information security professionals or cyber professionals from many different large organizations across the globe, universally said, you know, sharing of this type of information, threat intelligence, is not something that is going to drive competitive advantage. It's something that's going to allow us all collectively to, uh, you know, get better. So what we do specifically, because we can observe uh, across our networks an enormous amount of information. We have a, an information sharing partnership, the malware information sharing partnership, which we've put in place in the UK and now increasingly internationally as well called MISP. And what that allows us to do is to share a whole range of parameters of uh, information with our peer group in the telecommunication space but increasingly uh, to our customers who come from all different types of sectors as well. It's a pretty straightforward process to get signed up to it. We can do real-time sharing using some of the you know protocols that are well now understood, six Paxi, but we can also do different types of uh, sharing depending upon how organizations want to share share that information with us. So we uh, put that in place. We see its it, it very important that we we share that information, as well as consuming other people's information as well, because that does help create that, as I said earlier on, situational awareness.
1: You know, you have your, your day-to-day operations uh, there, but, but also uh, there are special events that come up. And, and I want to touch on uh, the work that you did with the 2012 Olympic Games, because that was uh, certainly a special event uh, for both uh, your organization, but obviously a little uh, local pride there that it was taking place in London Um, What was the the gearing up for that like? What was that experience like for you?
0: Well, 2012 feels like a long time ago now, certainly in the uh, in the cyber world. And um, uh, but, but, you know, I think that really kickstarted the approach that I was talking about earlier on about how we would become much more hunters rather than simply sitting there and watching and then waiting to react. So we really took the opportunity to say, you know, fundamentally, we're going to have to collect a lot of data from our, around our networks and around specifically the networks that are operating in, in the 2012 environment. And we're then going to use that data in a way in which we're going to correlate activity in a, to go looking for bad stuff before it had, had, had bad impact on our ability to execute against the 2012 Olympics. Uh, and of course, it goes without saying that those environments are so time critical and have to be, the, the reliability requirements are so high mm. uh, that, you know, you, it, there's very little room to make errors there, as you can imagine. And the world is watching. Absolutely right. And, um, and you know, there are a lot of people who tar- target those environments. Uh, and so therefore, we had to be very uh, mindful of the ability to understand all the different types of risks and threats that are out there and how they would actually manifest themselves as risks so it was almost 2012 provided us with a complete catalyst to say you know how are we going to get that situational awareness what threat intelligence do we need to be able to to suck in from different sources and then be able to correlate that with the real-time games operating environments um, and then actually then spot stuff before it actually then turns itself into having an impact adversely on our ability to execute on that mission in a world where you know, many of the things that we take for granted today were fairly nascent Wi-Fi usage and coverage, for example, um, uh, you know, cell usage. All of those things were relatively you know, small then, but nonetheless could still, as we all know, bring in uh, different types of malicious activity uh, to interrupt our ability to deliver service. So the 2012 Games for us acted as a, as a huge catalyst to think about how we go about collecting data. We put our first big data solutions in place at that point. Well, we brought a lot of that data into Hadoop clusters and then used a number of tools across that to then be able to start analyzing that. And that really built the bedrock for how we now deliver security, not just for BT, but for our customers as well. And that has been really, really influential. So 2012 has been a seminal event in our maturity that we have today. And we've learned an enormous amount from that enormous responsibility that we had at that time
1: For those uh, people out there who are running smaller organizations, who are CISOs at uh, companies around the world, what sorts of advice do you have for them? What insights do you have for the scale of organization that you're in charge of? Do you have any uh, uh, tips for for them to keep up with the day-to-day challenges they face?
0: Yep, I absolutely do. And the first one is use what you've got, uh, so use what comes out of the box. Most organizations now are either... On a journey to or using, if you're a, an Office 365 user, yeah, a Microsoft 365 user, there's a lot of capability that comes in there straight off. Get your identities right and, and spend time really thinking about that and how you manage your uh, Active Directory, be that Azure or on prem. So that would be a couple of tips I'd have around that. I know it, it sounds very familiar, but to me, more and more and more, making sure that that works well and getting the identity and access management right is really fundamental with some out of band authentication as well. That would be my second tip. Next is if you're Even in a small organization, if you've got big data sets in whatever shape or form, make sure you compartmentalize them, make them less of a risk because we see time and time again that malicious actors are often after getting into those those big data sets, Um, especially if there's confidential information there or payment-related information there, for example. Third is then also make sure that those privileged users in your organization, even small organizations have privileged users, make sure you keep their access appropriate and proportionate for what they need to do. No one, even the users themselves, those privileged users will thank you for giving them unlimited access to stuff when that's not really required. Most malicious actors are exploiting privileged use when they're going through these these types of things. And the last thing I would say, my fourth tip is make sure you've got a plan in place so that if something does go wrong, ransomware attack or whatever it may be, you've thought through how to do it and what I mean by that is not just thought through how to deal with specific scenarios, but you've just thought through how you're gonna communicate in an event. Even in an organization our size, we spend a lot of time just simply thinking about how we work together in those types of moments and, uh, and practicing it as well. So the scenarios often are less of an issue. It's more about um, thinking about how you're gonna to work together and then when the scenario comes along, it's never going to be as you will necessarily rehearse. You can do some things to try and predict what it might be because we can see what's happening to organizations, but make sure that you then rehearse that as well. And above all else, get your antenna out. And what I mean by that is, (laughs) my last tip is make sure you've got your situation awareness. Think about the partners who you might think of as competitors, but in this case, might have some really rich sources of information. Think about the threat intelligence you're consuming Think about the law enforcement agencies and other organizations that you might have to work with if something goes wrong. The time to establish and foster those relationships is before something goes wrong, not when it's actually happened.
1: Our thanks to Mark Hughes from BT for joining us. If you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll take the time to rate it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help people find the show.